This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ the Big Guy. Hey, this is Russ the Big Guy, and we are back. Uh, I have a couple amazing guests today. Now, I have Francis and Helen Battisti. I want to tell you a little bit about them, and then they can fill in the rest. So, both are principals of Battisti Management Affiliates, and together, they're the paradox. And the paradox are Dr. Francis L. Battisti, Ph.D., psychotherapist, distinguished psychology professor, and former executive VP and chief academic officer, and his wife, Helen E. Battisti, Ph.D., RDN, CDN, assistant professor, health promotion specialist, research and clinical registered dietitian nutritionist. Uh, you know what? Everybody that we have has a traditional education. Well, it sounds like these two do, but they've taken it even a step further and they're going to tell you more about some of their adventures. Please welcome Fran and Helen Battisti. Here they are. Say hi, guys. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much for us. Yeah. Good to be here. Well, we appreciate you coming. We really do. Uh, in my research, I started taking a few notes, and usually that's where it ends. Oftentimes, I know the people, and Fran, I know you a little bit. Helen, I've been filled in by Fran, let's just say that, on uh, a, a lot of your adventures. Uh, but anyways, I just had to stop after a couple pages of notes because I won't have time for everything. But I wanted to find out a little bit more about the two of you, uh, where you came from, how you got to where you are, and the point of doing this often is it's educational for people who are listening, who are aspiring entrepreneurs. I've had some conversations and have been aware of several, especially young people who currently are having some issues in terms of understanding how they fit in the world, what they're supposed to be doing. They've started what they thought was their new career only to find out that they made terrible mistakes and things like that. So any, any kind of insights and in inspiration and information that we can supply to those people is extremely valuable. Well, um, probably one of the things we want to begin with is we're still evolving. Yeah. I think it's important. Uh, you mentioned about our education. Helen and I uh, didn't go back in, to work on our doctorates until uh, at least I was in my late 50s. Okay. Helen was in her early 50s. So we're kind of, you know, returning students uh, because the whole idea of our careers kind of evolved. Yes. Um, We've always been involved, like I've always been involved in psychology, human development, uh, social work. And I've always been involved more in the health-related fields. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. And I think what's important, something I mentioned the other day to you, Russ, yeah. both of us have our individual careers, and then we come together to offer different things, like as the paradox. I love that. And that's true uh, within our you know, personal life. I mean, we haven't mentioned this yet, but Helen and I are married. Yeah. <laughs> for 40, 47 years. <laughs> it's a long time. A long time. It's so long and you so can't remember how long. <laughs> I know. Especially with the COVID this last year. Oh, you know, gosh. It was in a lot of celebrations. Yeah. And even in our relationship like that, we both come to it, you know, with our own individuality and then come together and bring the strengths yeah. uh, to joint ventures. And that's what we did. Uh, with the paradox. Yeah, that's great. Helen, anything to add there? Talking about the young individuals, I know uh, I just retired as an assistant professor at Marywood University. And unfortunately, the uh, young people sometimes have the idea that they, sh they should know what they're supposed to be doing, like yeah. you said. And it really is, it's a journey that you go on. So, you know, I went the traditional route and got my 
bachelor's degree and then uh, wasn't quite sure where I was going with that. And then it was 10 years later that I actually got my master's in food and nutrition and became a dietitian. And then as Fran said, you know, in my 50s, decided, oh, there's other things I want to do. I want to do a lot of research with this now and went back for the PhD. So I guess I just want to really share that you know, especially with the younger listeners that, you know, stay on, stay on your course, stay on your journey. There's, you know, there's going to be peaks and valleys as you go forward. And and that's just part of the learning, learning system. One of the first things I did, I started an eating disorder clinic here many years ago called the Nutrition Network. And the first thing I did was to get a mentor and it was Yvonne Benjamin. I'll give her a, a shout out. She owns Magic Needle and still does. And I used to spend uh, time with her every month and say, okay, <laughs> you know, teach me, teach me. So, you know, really having her to mentor me and say, Helen, some days you're going to be flying high and then down in the dumps all within like an hour. And that's just part of the process. And it was just so, so helpful. Um, so I guess the, the two things I want to add here is for the young listeners is it's a journey, stay on it, but pull in mentors along mm. your way um, because it's, it's so helpful. Oh, I love you know, that. I think, yeah, go ahead, Fran. The point that Helen makes, putting together a team and that team evolves mm-hmm. is so very, very important. People you can really trust, um, who maybe have the shared vision that you have. I think a lot of times people think I have to have a unique idea. That's not really what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurship is the kind of the internal drive, mm. the passion to make something happen, to be creative or to build on something. So putting that team together is very, very important. So I know myself, uh, a number of ventures that I've been involved in from individual all the way to the college when I was the executive vice president your team is the most important thing because they're the ones who are going to carry out so much of the shared vision. And hopefully you have people there who will say, stop a minute, reflect, or yeah, let's go for it. You know? And I think that's very important. Well, you guys are, you guys are are handing out gold nuggets left and right here. We only just started. Let's just recap because you, you uh, provided so much there. Uh, Journey is so important. And I agree with that. My goodness, especially with, uh, well, life in general, but I talk to entrepreneurs about that. You know, they think of a straight line from point A to point B, whatever their, their goal is. And uh, the business does not go that way. Entrepreneurial life is not like that. It's a zig and a zag and circle around and a, a fistful of spaghetti, basically, is how it turns out. And 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 what do you know? That's the way life is. <laughs> well, you don't know, but there's no perspective when you're younger. Uh, if we're if we're referring back to the young person, they don't have the perspective uh, yet, and so that's where the mentoring and the team comes into play. It's so important. No, I was just going to say, you know, you look at social media. And yeah. I know myself, sometimes I'm blown away by, you know, you'll see a 16-year-old who now is making $23 million. Yeah, some of them are. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, so I know our grandchildren, they're both doing TikTok uh, videos and thinking, you know, maybe they're the next great, yeah. you know, uh, potential. And I think that's great, but it's so different than when we were yes. on our uh, path. Sure. Because you didn't know those things were happening. And probably they weren't happening or they were happening in a different way. So I think sometimes the pressure is even more on younger folks. And that's why, again, underlying that, having, having people who have been there, yeah. who have you know, more seasoned, they might not have the answer. No, if they have the answer, that's not the right person for your team. <laughs> ah. um, 
But if, uh, if they're there with you, that's so important to help you uh, pull back, reflect, uh, build all of that. Let's jump over to the zone. I was going to talk about this later, but this what we're talking about now kind of ties in with the volume that I picked out, which is volume 16, and it is uh, interesting. So I'm going to just put this out there up front. If you want to receive the zone weekly, you can email Fran at Batisti. Francis at gmail.com. That's B-A-T-T-I-S-T-I-F-R-A-N-C-I-S at gmail.com. I wanted to put that up front because I was reading through this newsletter, The Zone, and there are so many good newsletters in there. And these are produced by The Paradox, right? So that's Fran and Helen. Uh, The one I wanted to talk about briefly here is talking about chaos, And it tied in with kind of what we're just talking about now, but what has been on my mind recently because of what I mentioned with some of the young people who are having some issues right now, and I've been observing it in other areas. Uh, Also, the chaos in our society right now is at a peak. And uh, I want to quote a couple things that you mentioned uh, in here. Hopefully you'll remember this. That's why I'm going to read the quotes to you in case (laughs) you've written so, you've written so many, (laughs) but I'm, but, hey, you're smart people, and you'll know what we're talking about. And if not, um, uh, improv is great. So here we go. The theory of, there's a quote. The theory of chaos is the apparent randomness of chaotic, complex system, while there are underlying patterns and interconnectedness that keep the system moving. So that's part of it. And then the summary to this is, quote, in summary, With numerous issues confronting us in today's world, it is important to keep above the fray of the turmoil so that one does not get caught up in the craziness of the moment or of the day. In order to maintain and enhance one's balance, developing honest and deep relationships is health-enhancing, end quotes. So these are some of the things that jumped out at me given today's chaos Mm -hmm. and the confusion that many people have and the fact that they are getting caught up in it all. One of the things that you mentioned in the section of this called Best Practices is to enhance one's knowledge of history by reading, watching, and listening to documentaries and meeting with others who have lived the history. And this is something that has been noticeable to me is that with so many people, even people my age, especially younger people, they don't seem to be able to see what's happening in any kind of context. In other words, they're taking a snapshot and reacting emotionally to that exact moment rather than trying to understand how it fits in. Has it happened before? What are the results? You know, what have the results been? How could they make better decisions about how they actually react uh, and then understand their feelings also? So I just handed you quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit to process. <laughs> That's a big one. Right? This one just popped out at me. I just thought yeah. this is one that we could talk about today, that it's just, uh, to me, it's just so important that people have a better understanding of the craziness that's going on and not getting all caught up in it and ba- staying above the fray, keeping their eye on the ball, paying attention to their own values, uh, their own goals, not let the outside influences deviate them from their path that they know is right for them. Okay, let, let, me, let me put this in context to how the zone came about. Okay. Because I really think that kind of uh, informs the whole thing. Great. Speaking of history. Yes. So Helen and I, as Helen mentioned, she left her full-time position at Marywood. I left my full-time position at SUNY Broom. 
and um, we started spending some of our time in Florida. And uh, this was our first year after four years looking around where we wanted to go and stuff. So anyway, we're sitting there one day and I had just spoken to a colleague of mine and saying, you know, I'm going to get back into consulting and speaking. What are some niche areas that, you know, I really like to drill down and do some work with? And he said, well, let's get together. We'll talk about that. And about a week later, he gave me a call and he said, Fran, I don't know if you've heard, but have you been reading anything about this COVID, COVID-19? I had no idea what he was talking about, but I heard some stuff about it. He said, I really think that's an area that is really going to need a lot of help. And people, whether it's long-term care, whether it's hospital delivery system, across the board. At the same time, uh, a president of a college reached out to us and said, you know, this COVID thing is going to really start causing a lot of difficulties on campus. Is there any way, because I had written both of them and said, I, I want to do something. Both Helen and I need to do something. We're comfortable. We're sitting here. And it seems like the world is coming apart at the seams and we can't just sit here and watch it. What little thing can we do? So this president said, if you would write a newsletter for our faculty and our staff. So we right away that weekend, we start putting some ideas away, uh, together. We loved writing things together and doing projects together. They gave us a good, and, but I must say there's a lot of give and take, <laughs> sometimes more giving, more taking us back and forth. And um, so anyway, we put it together, sent it out, sent it to the campus. About a week later, I get a call from a, um, a, a local nun who's an educator. And she said, uh, she introduced herself. And she said, you know, we heard this, uh, someone in the congregation brought us this newsletter. Would you mind if we distribute it to the church? And, you know, how much would that be? I said, look, there's no cost for this. There'd never be a cost. Feel free to. Well, 12 months later, we now have over 250 outlets of this newsletter used by all kinds of organizations. Wonderful. And, and it comes back to what we were just talking about. This model that we use we look at it from a model of chaos, the chaos theory, meaning that there's so much going on, but when you step back, you can start seeing patterns. And that's why the point you make, Russ, history is so very, very important. And I think sometimes history is that course you got to take that doesn't make any sense. Well, unfortunate that we look at it that way, because yeah. if we don't know our history, then we're destined to repeat it and not always repeat it in the best way. We also look at it from a series model of grief model, because we believe a lot of what's happening today or what people are feeling is really going through the stages of grief. And then we look at the change theory as far as making changes. Some people are ready to make them tomorrow and some need a lot more information. Yeah, we spend Friday when we're out for a walk thinking about how are we going to address things? What are we going to address today? What happened this past week? Yeah, like what where? happened? And keeping it apolitical, because that's not, you know, that's not where we're at at all. What can be helpful? What's the message in this? And then we, Saturday morning, we spend the morning writing it and refining it. And we have some family members who will look it over and check it out for grammar and edit and say, what's that mean? And it's really helpful. Then by uh, Sunday night, it's done. And one of our daughter-in-law sends it out, makes it look pretty and sends it out. So it's a real family project. Uh, That's awesome. yeah, it really is. We're, we're hearing from people saying, you know, yeah. I like this one. I like that one. It hits something for me. And again, it's just kind of us folks talking to other people, not at a high, you know, just kind of like, this is what we're all going through. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, probably more so than ever, I shared a story about my uh, grandson 
and some time we had spent together. And that's probably the first time we've really sp- uh, shared anything personal. You know, it is about helping people move forward, not getting caught up in all the craziness because there are a lot of industries out there are born out of the need to make people suspect and suspicious. And we come from it from a positive psychology sense where we're always looking for the potential and the positiveness within an organization or with an individual, not always from the negative point of view. Yeah, I love that. And that's obvious too. You know, one of the other things I like about it, about your newsletter, The Zone, is that the way it's written is easy to consume, but it appears as though someone who is intelligent wrote it. Now, (laughs) I know that may sound funny, but the reason that I'm saying it is, and someone credible, um, the, the reason that I'm saying that is because if you contrast and compare to a lot of the stuff that is posted, let's say, on social media and is aimed towards maybe the same population or uh, since I consume a lot for entrepreneurs and small business people, there are people promoting all kinds of things and you know providing uh, um, inspirational sayings and telling us how we should think or feel about certain things and what works and what doesn't work. And my feeling is that a lot of times all they're doing is regurgitating something they had already seen, many of them, and it's possible that they don't even understand it or they've never experienced it or what have you. So to me, uh, the fact that you two are credible people, um, uh, additionally, just the way it's formatted, it's short enough, it's easy to consume. Also that you've provided some uh, bullet points, so key takeaways, best practices, things to limit. I like that. And you give specific ideas of what a person can do. So, for example, one of the things I mentioned under best practices, enhance one's knowledge of history. This is something that almost anybody can get weekly and get some good information from. And the fact that you are looking at what is happening in the world around them makes it even more applicable to that particular time when they get the newsletter. So there's a little promotion for The Zone. I like it. I think it's cool. Thank you. (laughs) Obviously. Helen, one of the things that you talked about in The Zone is to develop honest and deep relationships is health enhancing. Also, that under best practices, you had mentioned that in order to have the stamina to enhance our relationship building, it's important to practice self-care physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Can you speak to that? I'd be happy to. We're fortunate when we talk about getting mentors or people who have been through this before. We have five areas in the United, or excuse me, in the world known as the blue zones. And the blue zones are areas where people are living to a hundred and beyond, but doing it well. So we have these sages of our time that we are now learning from. And um, I think it was a National Geographic Uh, writer that started looking at this population and started in Okinawa. And then it has spread. We have one here in the United States, uh, Loma Linda, uh, California. And um, when you study these people, there are lessons that we've learned. And one of them is they have what is known as a tribe or you know, your your close-knit group, those people who provide the emotional support, um, spiritual support, uh, that is, is so important. And we've known that for years. I remember learning about infants that are born and never touched. Uh, they die. 
Um, so we know that we need each other. Some people uh, don't need as many as others, and, and that is fine. Some people, uh, you know, have two or three really close people. Other people have a bigger circle or a bigger tribe, and it, it's all fine. There isn't a, you know, prescribed set, but we do know that we need that. We need each other. And I think that's also one of the problems that we're seeing now with the COVID and the isolation and people trying to stay distant, but it's hard. Um, I know we haven't, our grandchildren, we haven't touched them in over a year. You know, we've seen them on decks and we've, you know, talked with them, but we haven't touch them. Really having that that close knit group is that you feel a part of um, so that you don't feel isolated. But they're they're moving. They're they're not sitting anymore. They they get their sleep. They eat properly. And so, you know, practicing that self-care. I love the research going on right now with the microbiome. And I think one thing that just made me like stand up and go, holy smokes, a number of years ago was, you know, um, we talk about serotonin and serotonin in the brain and how it really does help people feel better. Well, 95% of serotonin is made in the gut. Oh my gosh, no wonder there's another layer to why eating healthy and you know, everyone has a different right answer for eating healthy. So yeah. there is no one single answer. Everybody will come up with their own based on likes, dislikes, allergies, cultural backgrounds, all those types of things play into it. Um, but we now know even more uh, about this microbiome, although much is not known yet. So practicing that self-care, being integrated in with people is, is just vital. And it was interesting. One son is an attorney here locally, and he was teaching a business law course at SUNY Broom. And I got a call in the morning and he said, I have to go into court. Can you go teach my class? Now, keeping in mind, I'm a registered dietitian. I still practice with Endwell Family Physicians. And uh, I'm like on the phone with him going, what are you talking about? I can't teach business law. And he says, oh, we're talking about entrepreneur. You've owned your own businesses. Go in and tell them, you know, your experience. And so I went, all right, here I go. So I went in, but I turned it. Because one of the things about being an entrepreneur is you don't go to work at eight and leave at five. You're on 24-7 many times. And in order to do that, you have to stay healthy. You have to practice self-care because you've only got one body. (laughs) And believe me, if you've ever tried working when you're struggling with the flu or something like that, it it doesn't work. Or a clogged artery. Yeah. As As in my case. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, you know, an entrepreneur has to practice self-care um, yeah. in, in order to have that energy that is, you know, the mind can be willing, but if the body isn't, we're, we're struggling uh, far more than we need to. Well, I think you, I think you covered quite a bit there. Um, we, uh, we know that there are a lot of psychological and physiological impacts of stress, uh, you know, ongoing stress and certainly in the middle of a pandemic doesn't help. The regular stress level for an entrepreneur is pretty high. And I, I experienced that in many different ways. I'm learning more about, uh, some of those harmful chemicals that our body kicks out and then some of the happy mm-hmm. chemicals too, which you had mentioned serotonin there earlier, and uh, they make a big difference. You had mentioned some things that people can do to help them be healthier, to help them tolerate the stress, I guess would be a way to say it, the moving, sleep, nutrition, especially paying attention to your gut, which I'm hearing more and more about 
from anybody who's interested in nutrition. What are some of the things that people could look out for that would be the negative effects of the stress, you know, the isolation, maybe not being able to mentally handle what's happening due to whatever reason, you know, um, maybe their emotional intelligence isn't, isn't quite where it should be, or maybe they just don't have any way to put it in context or... Exactly. In fact, there's a lot of research going on because there's a great deal of concern within the mental health community on how this is all going to pan out. Um, Depression is increasing. They know that already. And we tend to have a lot of depression and anxiety in our culture anyway. And so that's getting exacerbated. That whole idea of not being able to concentrate, uh, not being able to finish tasks, not being able to be able to make decisions. Those are all things that can get exacerbated during times like this. Uh, People not eating as well as they can or need to, overeating, undereating. Also the possibility that people, uh, you know, have been removed from others for so long, they might want to continue that once they're able to go out. And that can be something that, you know, we need to just keep our eye on. But the big is the big thing right now, as far as the mental health, is the, the uh, depression, anxiety, and then addictions, abuse, uh, family abuse, psychological abuse, physical abuse, all of those things are, uh, they've already started to report they're on the increase. And so we really need to, to watch for that. What are some of the addictions? Uh, people might think, well, drugs and alcohol would be uh, two of the obvious ones, but if someone is maybe not familiar, uh, what are right. some of the well, things they could look out for? Well, some of the things, like if they find that all they do is spend their time just watching a particular TV show, we have this all available to us. Nothing wrong with watching TV, nothing wrong with watching the news or listening to the news or being on social media, but when it starts to become our main ingredient, the main ingredient that brings us pleasure or the main ingredient that brings us happiness. That's when we start looking at it, when it, it gets in the way of us functioning, taking care of ourselves, bathing, you know, those kind of necessary things that we do during the week. So things that interrupt what would be considered a normal daily activities. Right. They're all kind of ways to disassociate, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And not looking at what are my, what are some other possibilities that I have at this time? I was also just going to say people are binge eating. Yeah, And uh, it, it's tough. Carbohydrates also help change serotonin levels in the brain. And so that's why people, when they're feeling emotions that they may not want to, and try to separate from, uh, they go into the carbohydrates because you land up in kind of a mental fog. Uh-huh. And that's the relief that we're looking for. But we also know, and it's kind of interesting, and, and if people are interested in this, food science has... Um, created and crafted foods in such a way that in some research and in uh, lab rats, they can craft a carbohydrate of fat and a sodium in such a way that a uh, lab rat will work at that, you know, the little lever, you know, to get that particular food. And they work as hard for that combination as they will for cocaine, heroin, meth. And when they take uh, the MRIs of the brain, they find that that same pleasure sensations are lighting up, not quite in the same way, but you're getting that same pleasure. There used to be an old uh, Lay's potato chip, I think it was, that said, I bet you can't eat just one. Yeah. And unfortunately, many of our foods are getting crafted like this. And so not only can be problematic for someone who is just looking for relief from 
whatever the emotion they're feeling. But then those foods also just keep eliciting more and more eating, even sometimes beyond the point of uh, that the relief has already been achieved. Well, I understand that. I ate an entire bag of potato chips this past week. So <laughs> and yes. I've been, and I, I've been doing does. very well with my eating, but you know, I, you know, you have yeah. one or two or three, you know, that fat, right. that fat and that salt boy, I'll tell you. Yeah. And the it, little it, rush from all, from all the carbs. What's that? I said, you do feel better in the short run. <laughs> in the you short really run. Yeah, then the guilt got me afterwards. So, yeah. right. But and I think the important piece to this, too, is like when we're talking about people suffering from addictions or, or depression or anxiety or overeating, or, these are not, we're not saying these people are bad people. No. That's important because a lot of times, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, I was bad this weekend. I, I, right. you know, I, a whole cake or whatever. You're not bad. Well, I just you said know, it to you. I was feeling guilty. I know. I, I was bad. Yeah. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> that's my Catholic, that's my Catholic guilt coming back again, Fran. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's important for us to keep that in mind that we still can be t- trying to get to taking care of ourselves, even when we're on a rocky road. I agree. And I appreciate that. So we'd mentioned some psychological issues and it's interesting when I was talking to Fran in advance of this interview, one of the things that came up in our conversation was specific to entrepreneurs. Boy, I'll tell you, I really identified with it, not so much because I feel like I suffer from it, but I have noticed it in some others throughout my life. And then also I'm very aware that the life of an entrepreneur, as I mentioned earlier, is not a straight line. It's a lot of zigs and a lot of zags. It's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of, I've always been saying, you know, you can get punched in the face once a week or maybe even every day. And you have to be willing to accept that. Fran had mentioned something about the extremes. And in our society right now, that is what I see a lot, the extremes. And I see the extremes are used to make money by media, by politicians, by whomever. Look at one individual entrepreneur. They exhibit the characteristics of depression and megalomania. And I think you used the word megalomania. Two sides of the same entrepreneur. Fran, could you talk about that a little bit? And maybe that's not something ideal, I would think, right? Right. It's it, Again, it kind of the extremes. Yeah. And what I mean by that is without thinking about an individual, but looking at it theoretically. Okay. That people go to the extremes sometimes when things just haven't worked out. You know, there are a lot of people, I mean, we hear about the people who have the invention or the idea and it really blossoms and they do very well. Uh, but that's only one out of a very, you know, out of a lot of people. So the depression can be when you're trying and trying and trying. And like you said, you hit the mouth so many times, it just can't function. And the other half is sometimes when people are like over and above. And I don't know if I would call it megalomania. I think I. It may have been my word. Yeah. I, was, I couldn't remember yeah. exactly what you said, but right. I, I just picked something but out that, that, like that sounded good. <laughs> Right. Over and above. And I think that sometimes compensates for the feelings of not making it, whatever that means. And again, I think it comes back to one of the things when I work with entrepreneurs is to talk about what their mission and their vision is. And it's not usually about when you really boil down, it's not about that one invention, but what is it that you want to be able to contribute to the community, to the, to the world? And that's maybe what to, to think about. I know. Um, I love that, Bill Fran. Gates, you know, I, I, someone, I love that, yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, someone asked Bill Gates once, you know, how much money do you have? 
And he goes, I have no idea, but it's not about the money. Now, a lot of times people will laugh and there's money involved in things, but sometimes you get to a point, how much is too much? I mean, I remember my dad, I would go see my dad and I remember all he was making was his social security and he always had enough. Yeah. For him, it was enough. Yeah. And, you know, and so again, I think what can happen when people think that there's, they define themselves by the things they achieve, that's when you can be depressed or to compensate that over the, on the other, you know, the other end of that hyper. And so that's something to keep in mind, I think, as an, as an entrepreneur, because sometimes entrepreneurs think they have to be the biggest and the greatest and the loudest in the room. No, that's yeah. not what it's about. It's about the passion. It's about the resilience. It's about, uh, again, as Helen mentioned, taking care of yourself, having a team that you work with, having an idea that's passionate, and always staying true to your meaning and your purpose. Yeah, and these are things that I think about because I have a drive to be wealthy or wealthier in terms of money, but I also don't feel a real need for it for myself. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a conflict. And then I have to make sure, well, am I doing these things for the right reason? When Helen and I were discussing going back for our doctorates, when we looked at it, you know, there was, and Helen was really as a driving force in this. Uh, there was so much more we wanted to do. And, and it, it seemed having that doctorate would have been useful and it would have given us more skill and more in-depth understanding. And then when we looked at it financially, it was like probably the poorest def poorest decision in some ways because you know you'll have debts <laughs> student uh, debt forever but in other ways it just has paid back in so many ways and has allowed us to do the work that we're doing today and uh, it was neat going to school together we would have some of the highest level <laughs> discussions on Kant and all other you know philosophical theoretical perspectives Wow, that's pretty neat. Could you mention maybe just a couple bullet points of the real value of that kind of education? The reason I ask you that is because there is a, a big push right now telling people that you don't really need to have a formal education or at least an education done in the traditional way. And mm -hmm. I'm one that sort of tends to feel that that's true for many people. I think it it definitely was true for me. Um, I think that had I been more mature, I could have made better use of a traditional education than I did. So we could use your feedback as sort of a, a positive for a traditional formal education. All right, I'll, I'll start. But Fran is the one who's been in uh, academics, sure. You know, for a long time. We talked about history and knowing history. And I think if we're not taught, and I don't think every single entrepreneur, every single person needs, you know, my cousin once said, when, when did America start respecting only that person who takes a shower and goes to work and not the person who goes to work and takes a shower? Oh, and wow. Wait, that, oh my gosh. I never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. And I think that sums up, you know, not everybody needs an education. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And we also need, though, those individuals who can tell us the history. So if you don't learn your history, as Fran said, you're destined to repeat it again. And I think that is one of the values that I say for, you know, that liberal arts education. How can we even 
vote on things when we don't understand the history of what we're voting on. Um, And so in in those ways, I still don't get existentialism. And (laughs) Fran statistically doesn't have a clue what an ANOVA is. But in order to be able to put forth new research and to understand the research, you need to learn this stuff. And the way we learn it is, is from learned individuals who are going to teach it to us. That's that's my feeling. No, no, I I agree. And you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking when we were talking about this, Gus, so many times when we have these discussions, it has to be an either or. Either you have a formal education or you don't. And I've always been like uh, at the college, you know, I taught in the liberal arts. So I always had a sense for the liberal arts, but my bachelor's degrees in finance. So it was on the other side of the aisle, if you will, very practical kind of thing. Yeah. And, Remember, we would have these discussions about, well, you know, uh, STEM is the way to go and science and technology. We need all of it. And so one of the areas that I've been doing more and more work on is kind of re-looking at the way we live our lives. Like, who says it has to be childhood, education, work, retirement? Why can't it be work, uh, you know, childhood, work, education, back to work, retire for a while, back to work. And a lot of people are starting to look at this. Yeah. Uh, especially when we get into people who are, and the word I rather never use, but I'll use it here, is retired. I have had <laughs> so many acquaintances or read so many people who they've retired, and they really, retire comes from the word of removing from the, the masses, removing oneself. You you retire a tire when it's no longer good. You know, well, the statistics aren't good for retirees who don't have something of value to pursue. Exactly. And just by this, the, the uh, history that they bring to the table, we had some time over this um, pandemic to spend with some younger people, and we would talk about re- uh, some of the history, and they were like, well, that's not important. And I said, wait a minute, look at the history. You know, you look at the last pandemic in 1918 and look at the comparison today, very, very similar things w- occurred. And if, we would, if people would think about those, maybe they don't have to recur some of the negatives that occur. My sense is I think we ought to be doing a better job at evaluating people during their careers in school and then opening up to having people are more hands-on, give them more hands-on. Eventually they might come back to doing some liberal arts or whatever and back and forth all the way around. But we have to help people with the critical thinking because we just are lacking that in so many ways. Coming back to something we talked about earlier, then people can come out with information that's disinformation, and it can really impact us in negative ways because people will make decisions based on things that are really inappropriate. Ah, yeah. Well, we, we've certainly uh, have seen that in our recent history. Um, I love what you're saying about that. And the other component is really uh, knowing, knowing yourself, that, that introspection part is so important and having the tools to be able to look at yourself and understand what your needs are and what your capabilities are and really what is right for you as the individual. Uh, so I just think it's so important that people look at themselves, look at really what they think they want to do. And uh, you can, it kind of goes back to some things that we talked about in the beginning. It's part of your journey. You can always zig and zag. You can change. Know that you have the power to be able to continue to learn. It's you know, we're, it's not the 1940s anymore. We know that our brains are pliable and can continue to learn new things. Maybe harder when we're 
older, uh, but uh, it's still, you know, it still happens, right? So we can do that. And to have an acceptance of people being different. Yeah, I always would tell my students, you need to be reading things that you don't agree with. Yeah. Along with what you agree with. Because we usually learn, and I don't like this, but as human beings, we usually learn from pain from discomfort. Well, that's true. And that's what we teach in the business world too, Fran. You know that. It's like you learn from your failures. Exactly. You know, and they're finding uh, like with resilience, the research and resilience, like with the pandemic, if this carries through with other uh, tragedies, we will find that probably a good, you know, 75% of the people, they'll have some difficult, but they'll get through it. You know, they'll do pretty well. Then there's going to be about that 10% that really are going to have some long-term impacts like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Really needing treatment and assistance. And then that last segment, about 15% there, those are people that are going to grow from this, you know, because research and resilience shows us that many times people who have Horrific things happen to them when they're in childhood. And the key is they have someone who's supportive to them. Could be a teacher, could be a parent, could be a grandparent, a religious leader, someone who takes them under their wing and lets them know you're okay. That person has that ability to move beyond the traumas around them. I love that. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, and that goes right back to your in your zone. I'm looking at it right in front of me. Developing honest and deep relationships is health enhancing. Yeah, along with allowing people to do what they need to do, like if they go to school longer or whatever. Yeah. Remember, we were in a trip to Italy, and we went to visit. I do. Uh, we've done a lot of work with the Carmelite nuns. So when we were in Italy, I found that there was a Carmelite group in this little town, Carpinedo, uh Carpinello Romano, my father's hometown. So I went to visit them, and they were a cloister. Okay. Which you might know, some people might know what that is, a cloister. Once they come to this building, they never leave. And and I remember talking to one of the young people there. They had this woman who came. I said, boy, your English is beautiful. She says, I'm from Kansas. I just got here. She was a young woman, about 25 years old, and was entering the cloister. She allowed me to have a real honest talk with her. And she said, we're here to pray for the world. And I thought about that a lot. Like you spend your whole life praying for the world. And I've mentioned that to people sometimes. Some people think that's really what we ought to be doing much more of. And others will say, well, what a waste of time. My point being, there's always things that are going to be outside our comfort level, our understanding level. I think we need to be able to think about them and reflect on them and spend time understanding them, not beating them up. There's uh, so much conflict right now and people unwilling to hear someone with opposing points of view. Well, that brings us to a whole nother show talking about social media and the echo chamber and, you know, it's all money-based and greed and, uh, (laughs) oh boy. Um, Covered a lot today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to go back to the zone again because I think that's, uh, I think that that is an easy way for people to tap into both of your, your knowledge and be able to connect with both of you. Are you guys on social media as well? Somewhat on LinkedIn. LinkedIn um, is a place. LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, we're probably going to be doing more with that. You know, we're exploring. The newsletter is BatistiFrancis at gmail.com. Any other way for people to contact you directly? Yeah. There's also, we have a uh, YouTube channel right now. Batisti Management is what people would search for on yes. YouTube? Batisti Management Affiliates. Okay. Oh, okay. 
Perfect. You two have been into so much. Um, Fran, you know, executive VP, SUNY Broom, professor of psychology and human services, psychotherapist. Uh, folks, Fran has an international reputation regarding his work on aging, health, conflict, passion, spontaneity, intuition. And he's a pretty well-known speaker and consultant, and he's an author, uh, as well as Helen, uh, authoring, of course, The Zone Helen, the chief nutrition officer with Sports Nutrition On Demand. We didn't even talk about that one. Registered dietitian, nutritionist, former assistant professor, and a PhD from Marywood in health promotion. So, Correct. folks, get to know these two better. You'll learn a lot from them, and it's easy to get the information. And now... It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right, it's time for the questions. And uh, these are going to be pretty uh, easy to answer. I don't think we really need to double dare Fran or Helen. They're pretty open people. But uh, here's your first question, guys. Uh, are you ready? Yes. Yes. All right. If you could have a conversation with a famous person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Either one of you can go first. Can I go? You go. I'd love to talk to the Pope. Pope oh. Francis, I think. Just an amazing individual running against all odds, um, a great thinker, and looking at the world um, down the road. I would love to have a discussion with him. And for those of you who don't know, this is the current Pope? The current Pope, Pope Francis. All right, Pope Francis. Perfect. All right, how about you, Helen? The, the first person that comes to mind is a woman who is still alive, and that's Kathy Bertini. And Kathy Bertini um, has had just an incredible background. She's right from uh, the Cortland, New York area, but she served under Copiana. She was responsible for setting up the for WIC here in the United States. Oh, she's incredible. And she's right here. I am just waiting for COVID to get over so that I can reach out to her and say, let me pick your brain. <laughs> I mean, this wow. woman is Oh, that's, yes. oh, that's interesting. And say say her name again. Kathy Bertini. Catherine oh. Bertini. Okay. She's and been on the Bill Gates Foundation. She's I think she's teaching back up at the Maxwell School in right. Syracuse. And she's just the most normal, normal person, person and brilliant. Uh having a huge impact on the world. All right, are you ready for your next question? Yes. <laughs> okay. What well, <laughs> all right, this is an easy one. What is the best advice you ever received? And what impact, if any, did it have on you? For me, it's probably something that most parents say to their children. But when my father said it, it really resonated with me. And he would say, it's the obligation of every, every generation to make it better for the next generation. And so I often keep that in mind. Wow, that was some serious advice. All right, Helen, what do you have? Oh, it's not anything near what he had. <laughs> so we had a good friend, unfortunately, who has passed away, Father Fred Pompey. And um, Father Fred, I, I was living outside of the area, and he lived, his mom was close by, so we were driving uh, together. And I was really on the fence whether or not I should uh, marry Fran. And so <laughs> he convinced me, not convinced me, but he, in talking with him, uh, I made the decision. <laughs> to marry Fran, and it was a very good decision. It cost me a lot of money, <laughs> let me tell you. Wait, wait, what do you mean it cost you a lot of money? <laughs> no, no. What, did you pay for her PhD? <laughs> She's Walk a working forward. adult. <laughs> All right, so what was... <laughs> so... Um, what was the effect it had on you, Helen? Fran has a Corvette. He got it new in 1972. 
You married him because of his car. I love yeah, it. You just ru- Helen. Helen, you just Helen, you just ruined the entire show. Helen just ruined the entire show. <laughs> Here I've been promoting you as this is super intelligent, responsible people. <laughs> But you know what's funny? I still got the Corvette. You still has the Corvette. Do you really? Yes. Yeah. What year is that? 72. I had it when it was new. Oh, is that a, that's the Stingray, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, green. Yep. All right, folks. Well, there you go, uh, listeners. We've had a, a great show today. Um, special thanks to Fran and Helen for doing this. It's much appreciated. We've learned so much today about their journey and how uh, you are having a journey through your life, through your business. Mentors and the team approach is so important. Passion and creativity plays a part in making your life amazing. Again, I'm promoting that newsletter. The Zone. Now, they didn't ask me to promote this, by the way. This is just me. I really like The Zone, and I think it's an easy way for our listeners to get some good information every week from some sharp people. It, credibility is high here, so it's not It's not like somebody just uh, opened up a bunch of fortune cookies and decided to make a, a, a <laughs> social media post about it. <laughs> uh, we may try that. That sounds like an idea. Well, if you just, maybe for ideas, but then you're going to use your chaos theory and the series model and your change theory to actually <laughs> the newsletter based on the idea from the from the uh, fortune cookie. Uh, uh, we learned about the blue zones today, guys. So you could research that. Do a little googling about the blue zones and see what kind of lifestyle these people are living uh, that allows them to be active past a hundred years old. That's pretty amazing. So that brings us to the end of the show. I thank you very much, guys. And uh, thank you. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, thank you. Here's the show closing. That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment. Send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. There's some information in it that we have value to that person, so please share it with them. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode, and it will be easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please, subscribe. It will benefit us all. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in those comments, DMs, and subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests or just something random and fun, but you have to comment, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. And finally, this is Russ the Big Guy saying thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.